Try that again. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you here this week and to come back for now the portion on the husbands that we'll be discussing today from Ephesians chapter 5. The title of the message is The Husband's Christ-Like Love. And uh, I think you're going to see very evident that that's an appropriate title because that's what Paul uses to show husbands how to love their wives. The family or the home, uh, whichever you want to call it, is under attack today. Satan hates the family and the concept of the family and the organism of the family and seeks to break up families. He's the very enemy of our souls. Uh, He tempts others to do harm to families, whether it's the seductress or whether it's the molester. In fact, Satan's initial attack in the Garden of Eden was on the family. Did you realize that? That was the first attack in the Garden. And he knows by experience after 6,000 years um, that when the home is fractured and weakened, all society is effectively weakened. Since at the root of all of our human relationships, ultimately, is our family. We are born into a family. We have a mother. We have a father. We have siblings. We have aunts and uncles. All of these various relationships. But the first one we see is our mother and father, who, according to Scripture, they're married. So Paul brings us into this marriage relationship. Of course, the entertainment industry has done nothing but push the worldly agenda that promiscuity and fornication and adultery and all of these things are accepted and they're okay. And obviously that's contrary to Scripture. And so as we discuss today the role of husbands, we need to remove preconceived ideas, even as I mentioned last time. Um, you know, even maybe your idea is the, the leave it to Beaver family. Mrs. Beaver, I mean, just how submissive is she? And Mr. Beaver, I mean, he's up early, he goes to work, he comes home or whatever, but You know, there's even more, like all in the family, married with children. Homer Simpson, not a good good role model for what a husband and a father should be. So lay aside preconceived ideas, and hopefully no one had those preconceived ideas here. Um, As with last week, this text has also been much abused as last week in regards to submission. So let's read the text. We're going to be looking at verse 25 to 30. Next week, God willing, we'll look at 31 to 33, really wrapping it up, um, seeking to explain what the mystery is that Paul mentions there. But for now, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So us husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of His body. Let's pray once again and ask the Lord's help. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You care for us so deeply, that You have revealed Your Word to us, that You have provided a Savior, that You have provided the Holy Spirit to convict and to comfort. 
And Lord, we pray that You would send the Spirit among us in a greater portion even now. Give us understanding as we look at this text. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the context, of course, in verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 21, one of the ways that we demonstrate being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then Paul opens it up and and begins contextualizing, that's a big word nowadays, contextualizing it of what this looks like in various relationships. Relationship and and marriage and marriage. fathers with their children, and employees with employers. Really, his words give more weight to those who have the authority because it is them who must conform to the biblical standard. And so, as we receive the instruction in regards to husbands, this is awesome stuff. This is very important stuff. It's vital, and we can't just read over it willy-nilly. It's very vital because we have a great responsibility as we exercise authority in a God-honoring way. Now, last time we saw the wife's joyful submission, hupotasso, the word means to arrange under. It has the idea of a military term um, of order. And so, wives are to submit to their husbands. Order is at the heart of submission. Marriage is God's design from the beginning. She is to be a helper to her own husband, not all men, to her own husband, the text says. And then the, the great motivator, as to the Lord. So just as a godly woman submits to the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way, not exactly the same way, but in the same way, but it's the comparison, she is to submit to her husband to the degree that she leads as Christ would have it. We noted these various myths, uh, myth busters I called them. Uh, submission is not just for women. We debunk that. Submission doesn't mean that women become a slave. We debunk that. Uh, She is free to have an opinion, to share her gifts um, within the context of that relationship, and that she is not inferior to her husband in any way. But God has different designs and roles for each of us. And so that was the takeaway. And then the motive, um, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And the model is that in verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands. So today, as we come to examine what the Word has to say to husbands, this is the longest portion that's given here. It takes six verses here. Um, And and, and it's really broken up into two sections, two parts, uh, verses 25 to 27 and then 28 to 30, and we'll take each of those in turn. But again, as we ask ourselves, why do so many marriages fail? It seems like they don't go more than a week that I'm hearing about somebody that I knew or somebody that I know, maybe they moved away or whatever, that marital problems and they're talking about divorce. Maybe sometimes even within our own families, uh, parents, um, and so forth. And, and, And it's not just the cultural influence. Oftentimes, marriages become train-wrecked because men do not take their responsibilities seriously to lead and to rule in a Christ-like manner in the home. We have a higher standard than submission to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. We mentioned last time that marriage, marriages take, they need to be maintained just like a vegetable garden. If you prepare the soil and you plant the seed, if you just don't do anything to it, it's not going to be a healthy garden. You've got to pull up the weeds. You've got to pull out the sins. You've got to water and tenderly care and trim and all of that. 
That's the way a marriage is as well. And again, GBC, we have many excellent examples of healthy marriages, but of course there is room for growth even here. So today we've broken up the text into three uh, simple points. The husband's sacrificial love, his sanctifying love, and then his sustaining love. So first of all, verse 25. Consistently love your wives. Now Paul uses five verbs within these six verses that I mentioned here that, that are worth noting. And it shows Christ's commitment to his bride. And what's the obvious parallel? Our commitment to our bride should be the same. That he loved, he gave himself, he sanctified, he cleansed, and ultimately that he might present them. Now, we have a varied audience here among us today. We have some that are children that haven't even thought about marriage. (laughs) Hopefully they haven't thought about it. (laughs) They're three or four or five years old. Maybe they have. Those who are entering adulthood, 13, 14, 15, 16, so forth. We have very young people who want to be married, young adults. We have older adults that want to be married, so we've got a mix of singles. We have some married here that have only been married for three months, and others that have been married at least two two marriages over 40 years. So there's a wide variety among us here today, isn't there? But I submit to you that there's something here for you no matter where you're at in there. Certainly if you're married, there's application for you. But those of you who are single, you children, this is something that you can sink your teeth into is what does biblical love look like? Because that's really what's going to be unfolded. As husbands are instructed to love their wives, he sort of gives what that looks like and compares it to Christ's love for the church. Love is one of the most abused words in our language today. Um, Some think of it as a physical attraction. It's something to selfishly get what I want, um, that it's conditional. That's very popular, right? I'll love you if you love me and you give me this and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, It's not just a word that speaks of something erotic or sexual, but rather it is a commitment to do good no matter what. It is a commitment to do good. Now, Paul uses the verb here, it's in the imperative, it's a command, and it means to have affection for, to love unconditionally and sacrificially, and of course, reflecting the love that God himself is, that agape love. Paul instructs us three times through here, love your wives, the third time actually will be in next week's text, but three times. Now, I want you to notice, we just came out of the section on women, wives submitting to their husbands, right? Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, now husbands, rule your wives. He doesn't say that. Uh, Certainly, we are the head, as it says in verse 23, but he doesn't say that. Rather, he says, love your wives. The 1 Corinthians 13 is such a beautiful picture of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Notice that it's not a selfish love. It's not provoked. doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. The word love has been used many times in the book of Ephesians that He predestined us in love when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God came and saved us because of the great love with which He loved us. Chapter 2 and verse 4. Even of Christ Himself, just earlier in chapter 5, says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us. And then, of course, 
the instruction in Ephesians goes on to say, now, because we've received all of this love, therefore we are to love one another. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Walk in a manner, or I'm sorry, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Also being imitators of God. So he gives this instruction then certainly here in our text here before us. You see, marriage is not a 50-50 proposition like, okay, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. You know, some kind of like agreement that, okay, you cook and iron and I'll do this. That's not what marriage is. It's not taking your little tally list and, and, and dividing all of that up. Marriage is a complete commitment a hundred percent commitment. It's not based on how you're treated either. And, and, and as you would love unconditionally throughout the course of your marriage, that is the love, as Paul says in Corinthians 13, love never fails. It never fails if you love in the way that we're instructed to. It will stand the test of time and trials. Paul goes on, <clears throat> second half of the verse, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Love your wives unconditionally as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Look at the extent of which He loved the church. He laid down His life. He gave Himself for the church. This is the model. This is the ground in which we have as husbands. This is the way in which we are to love our wives. It says that because God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Likewise, that in Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, translate that in. How are we to love our wives? We are to give ourselves wholeheartedly to her and for her good. Again, it's not an affection for an affection received. It's totally unconditional Men, your wife doesn't have to do anything for you to obey this command. This command doesn't say, if your wives are submitting in a way in which I have just written in verses 22 to 24, then love your wives. Does it say that? No. No matter how your wives treat you, you are to obey this command according to Scripture. Now, I will submit to you to the degree that you love as Scripture tells us to love, your wife will joyfully and willingly and respond in joyful submission to your love. As she arranges herself under your headship and your leadership, she will joyfully submit to you as you lead like this. That's not across the board. If there's an unequally yoked marriage, there's going to be distortions. But for Christian couples, to the degree that us men do our job, the wives will naturally do theirs as well. This love strives for the highest good. It's completely selfless. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say or define love of, of taking advantage of others for personal gain. So you men, if you're thinking, well, okay, how can I craft some love or some date night in order that I might get something back you know, for myself or whatever, and I won't even give any illustrations of that. That's not what biblical love is. That's not what Paul's saying. It's clear from the text it's just as. Here's that other comparison. Just as Christ loved the church. Now think for a moment. How did Christ love the church? How did He love the church? In perfect harmony within the triune God and fellowship 
one with the three persons of the Trinity. He comes to this sin-cursed earth. He comes and He lives a sinless life among sinners, wicked sinners, being cruelly treated, leading all the way up to the cross. He dies a horrible death on the cross. He's buried and three days later He rises. He's raised victoriously. Even throughout His ministry, He's stooping down. He's humbling Himself. He's washing feet and ultimately dying for the church. That's a picture of Christ's love for the church. Christ's love for the church is a model for a husband's learning what self-sacrifice really means. Remove the selfishness from you. Put that aside and meditate on Christ as it says that He gave Himself up. The word means to hand over. It's, it, it's the picture. In the ancient world, it was the idea of when one was in custody and he was handed over in custody to be imprisoned. He was handed over. He gave himself up. But notice, it has the, himself there. He willingly did it. He took the initiative to do this. So husbands, you're to take the initiative in love. And notice, he gave himself up for his bride. Not any bride, not any group of people, but for his own bride. And so too, you men, just like Job, you need to make a covenant with your eyes that your love is for your bride and for her alone. To not tickle the fancies of your imagination by looking at billboards or images or commercials or any other foul thing but to pour all of your love into your wife and to her alone. You are to be the initiator in love. You are to lead in this way. Husbands, how would you describe your love to your wife this past week? Just reflect on it for a moment. The past month, if you need a larger barometer, has it been sacrificial or has it been selfish? Read and study passages such as 1 Corinthians 13 and the text before us. And brethren, personally, I will tell you, I see where I fall short. I'm not standing here saying, do as I do. I've arrived and I do all this perfectly. Do not take that away. No, I am a man that still strives to excel in these things. The idea of marriage, a picture from the Old Testament, what is it a picture of in the Old Testament? It was, it was a picture to depict God's covenant relationship with His people. Yahweh and Israel, often depicted as a, a picture of a marriage. Uh, Hosea, chapter, Hosea, the minor prophet, largely is given to that. In the book of Isaiah, there's a passage in chapter 54, I'll just read it for us, in verse 5. For your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Again and again, these pictures and images, Ezekiel 23 and other texts, show us that it's a picture of covenant fidelity between Yahweh and His covenant people. And oftentimes they went away. They went astray, didn't they? And so here, Paul is saying, that Christ's covenant love for His bride is sacrificial and steadfast. And we are to imitate that love. Have you given your life for your bride? As Christ has for the church. Positively, look here in verse 25, He gave Himself up 
for her. Those words are packed full of meaning. It's who pair in the original. It's actually as a substitute. It has that substitutionary language. It's on her behalf. It's for her benefit. And so too, our love is to be for the benefit of our wives. It was on the cross that Christ gave Himself up for His bride. In the text, the word for church is feminine, enforcing the idea of her, for her, the church. Often the church is referred to as feminine. John chapter 10, Jesus' own words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He lays them down for the sheep. Verse 18 of John 10, No one has taken it away from Me, but I lay it down, notice, on My own initiative. Do you see who's taking the initiative here? I mean, ultimately, in eternity past, right, the covenant of redemption amongst the triune God is this, the whole plan of redemption was formulated, but as he's, he's living in obedience to the Father, it is Him taking the initiative. No one is taking His life from Him. Now, can I give you just an example of steadfast, sacrificial love? Uh, uh, this, this is a wonderful, beautiful picture here. An example of selflessness. A man by the name of J. Robinson McQuilkin in 1990 was president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. And he decided to retire prematurely. What was the reason why? His wife, Muriel, became afflicted with Alzheimer's. And as her mind began to go, and they lived about a mile from the campus where he worked, he would go into work, and she would not be comfortable being cared for by anybody else. So she would walk every half hour to an hour over to his office, back and forth, back and forth. And he'd have to bring her back, and so forth, or send somebody to take her back. When he would get home at night, he would take off her shoes and see her bloodied feet from all that walking and wipe her feet clean. And this Christ-like sacrificial service prepared him for a greater sacrifice that could come. And ultimately, he sacrificed his position to take care of her. A man with great potential, a man that had so many years still in front of him, retired early to care for his wife. That's the picture. That's the great picture. Now, now that's, that's a grand picture of the whole scheme of our marriage. Hopefully, we'll have something like that we can point to. But on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, try to identify ways that you can sacrificially love your wife. Denying yourself. Putting self to death for the good of others. This is what Paul's getting at. Headship by humble service with sacrifice. Selfless love should be your theme. So, sacrificial love. Now let's look at the husband's sanctifying love. Look with me at verse 26 and 27. So that, here's the purpose statement, Christ loved the church, gave Himself up for her. Why? So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You see, the goal of our goal should be to see our wives grow in Christ-like conformity. Christ died to make us holy. It says that again and again. Titus chapter two, he gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed that he might purify for himself a people for his own possession. 
and the high priestly prayer of Christ as recorded in John 17, he prays, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Your relationship to your wife should be helping to prepare her for heaven. In some way, as you minister to her, as you wash her with the Word, as, you, as you, you're a very means of sanctifying her, the Lord ultimately sanctifies her, but you are a means unto that end. So that, as it says in Romans 8, that predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. So we need to lead. We need to exercise our headship, but all tempered with love. Knowing her weaknesses, praying for her sinful patterns, praying for her specifically in ways to help her to grow in Christ-like conformity and ultimately leading her spiritually. When next, the second half of 26, wash your wives with the Word. We need to be continually cleansed by the Word. That's why sitting under the, uh, under the means of grace, through the preached Word, through the, through the sacraments as they would take place, through prayer and worship, all of these things further sanctify us and grow us in Christ. He who began a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will ultimately complete that. But here it is likely speaking of what's called definitive sanctification, not progressive sanctification. That's certainly a part of it but definitive sanctification. It's really wrapped up together here that, <clears throat> that he might sanctify her having cleansed or more being cleansed by the washing of water with the Word. Now, there's some debate of what does this washing mean? Uh, some paedo-baptists love to try to squeeze baptism in there somewhere. Like, aren't they sprinkling something here? You know, And it's just not there. I'm sorry. Baptism's not there. But I think it might be speaking of a bridal bath. Turn back to Ezekiel 16 with me. Ezekiel 16. Take your Bibles and turn back. See a picture of God's grace to unfaithful Israel again and again and again. This is one of those pictures, and it depicts this bridal bath that was common among Jews and Gentiles in In verse 6, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said, while you were in your blood, live. Skipping to verse 8. And then I passed by you and I saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into covenant with you, so that you became mine, declares the Lord. Notice, Then I bathed you with water. I washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. And I also clothed you with embroidered cloth. Verse 11, I adorned you with ornaments, put a beautiful crown on your head, and so forth, so that you would be perfect in splendor, declares the Lord. And then verse 15, but you trusted in your beauty and you played the harlot because of your fame and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. This is a picture of a bridal bath. There's that initial washing, coming, um, um, restoring, and all of that. And of course, verse 15 is really unrelated to our text, but because that's just Israel. They, again, go astray and go astray. But I think that's the idea of what Paul is getting to here. Washing her, at least the nuance that's underlying there. Washing her 
with the water and then with the word. So in a real sense, your role as husbands is redemptive. Not that you can redeem anybody, don't get me wrong, but seeing your responsibility through the lens of Christ's ministry. That's what we need to do. Seeing how Christ's ministry was to the church and how He sanctifies her, how He washes her, and then you now represent Christ to your family and to your wife. Exercising headship according to to the Word of God. It is grievous to me when this headship is obliterated and and abused and twisted as far as its meaning goes. For example, a certain counseling situation where the man says, my wife and I let Scripture rule our decision. So when I as the husband come home and relax and watch TV, and then my wife comes in and asks, honey, could you help me in the kitchen? I flip a coin in my mind. If it comes up heads, I go and I help. If it comes up tails, I don't. It goes on to say, that way there's no question who is in charge. Now, is that just, <laughs> you know, obviously these, these verses are not even taken into consideration uh, with such um, a silly declaration uh, from a professing Christian, sadly. So, washing, the washing of water with the Word. Uh, the word for word is rhema here, not logos. It means more the spoken word or the gospel in this context. It's the very power that we as Christians have against evil, as Paul says in chapter 6 and verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Same word is used there. Likewise, in Romans 10, he says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So the point is, is that you husbands have a vital responsibility to make sure your wives have a healthy diet of the Word of God. Now whose primary responsibility is it to serve the physical food and to make sure that it's healthy? It's the wife, generally. Okay, some men love to cook and all of that. That's great. But generally, the wife's job is to prepare physical food that's healthy, Your job as husbands is to prepare spiritual food that is healthy. And just as much as we need the physical food to sustain us, we need that spiritual diet as well. So, many young ladies, of course, in premarital situations desperately want husbands, or even before premarital, they they want husbands to lead them, to use their God-given responsibilities in this crucial area. And sadly, what happens is they'll fall in love, they'll go through the premarital counseling, they get married, and husbands are not leading. It is a huge problem in our society today, even professing Christians. You single men, are you faithful with your own devotional life now and your own spiritual diet now in regards to to taking in the Word of God? Some of you I know are praying for a wife could it be that God hasn't answered because there's been an unfaithfulness in this area? I just posed that question to you. We don't know. There's so many different situations, but I hope it is clear from this text, husbands have an immense responsibility to wash their wives with the Word. And you married men, are you letting your family down in this area? Can can you just make willy-nilly excuse of not attending church and, and being under the means of grace and all of that with just the whim of whatever, 
Do you shepherd your wife, discussing regularly with her the Word of God, what you're reading in the Scriptures, what the sermon's about, or whatever, and with your kids? Do you draw your family out? Are you washing your family? Are you leading spiritually? I encourage you to take a step in the right direction if you're not. Grow in this area. Being faithful to lead in family worship. Not that it has to be seven days a week exactly at 7 p.m., but that there is a practice of that. It might be two, two times a week, three or four, as often as possible. And if you have young children, start while they're young. That's what we did. That's why they can sit. <laughs> and when they're two, three, and four, that's when they learn. And that, that's, that's a perfect time. I encourage you to take these words to heart. The love that you are to have for your wives is to be comparable to the love that Christ had for the church. Christ had such a love that He gave Himself, that He sanctified and cleansed and washes with the Word, and so too you are to do this. The big problem we have today, as I said, is men are so passive. You know, TV programs like Bill Cosby, you know, the, you know it's not a bad show, but I mean, as far as biblical example of headship, not a good example. It's always really, well, what's the wife going to say or whatever, you know? He, he doesn't know anything. He plays dumb and that kind of thing. That, you know, that kind of role model has been just, we've been bombarded with that through the media. Frankly, men sometimes are just plain lazy. Uh, even Christian men. Even in abusive relationships, they often are described by long periods of passivity and then sudden blowing up, blowing steam, losing temper, and then back to passivity. Being the biblical head in the home is not a passive role of doing only that which is not bothersome and upsetting. In other words, I won't rock the boat and therefore I'm leading the home. No, there's a positive initiative that you are to take as men in the home. One man said, I think it was Chapel in his commentary, he said, a husband that relinquishes his authority is just as unbiblical and grievous to the Lord as your abuse of authority. So think about that. Sometimes we don't think like that, do we? You think, oh, he's abusing his authority. That's really bad. Oh, but if he's not using his authority, well, that's not as bad as this. I, I think those words are profound. It's just as unbiblical and grievous to the Lord if you are not fulfilling your role in this area. And future husbands, you boys, boys of various ages in our midst right here, ranging from various years, this is how you, you want to listen, you want to learn how, you want to look to your father, you want to look to other men that you can respect so that you can learn these things. And as your fathers lead your families, to look to them as examples and, and, and to hopefully be learning these examples and be ready to put that into practice as the Lord would grant uh, a wife for you. In verse 27, Christ's grand purpose is to present his bride and purity to the Father. Here's the eschatological motivation. Notice here again that he does all that, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Isn't that beautiful? Think of 1 John chapter 3 when he says, when he appears, we will be like him. Do you long for that great and final wedding day of which Revelation speaks? 
the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will be with Him, feasting with Him face to face. That great and final wedding day. Revelation 19 and verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Oh, my dear brothers, do you see the purpose of Christ with His church? It's to present her in the various translations, in her radiance, the NIV, in her splendor, the ESV, in all her glory, the NAS, different ways of translating the Greek term here. That's the grand purpose of Christ, that He might present her in all of the splendor. And so too, is that our goal with our wives? That we might present them, that we might be a sanctifying means unto them, that they would be ready for heaven. Again, this is a metaphor taken from the Old Testament, probably Isaiah 60 and verse 9, um, where the nations, uh, it says, the nations will see the beauty of God's people because He has made them beautiful. It's a very thing here. Christ is what has, He has made us beautiful. <clears throat> Paul makes it clear that Christ expresses His utter appreciation for the beauty of His bride. Do we express appreciation for the beauty of our brides? Men, married men, do we do that? You are to communicate your appreciation for her beauty, both internal beauty of her character and and also her external beauty and to praise her for that. When we treat our wives harshly, you make your wives begin to question their value and worth. The Bible doesn't mince words when it speaks of the inestimable value of Christ's bride and all that He's poured Himself out to purchase His bride. And so too, we are to do the same. We have a huge responsibility to be instruments in our wife's spiritual growth. A huge responsibility as we pray for her, adore her with unconditional love as her head. Let me ask you something. Is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you? Whether it's been months or years, is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you? Or is she more like Christ in spite of you? See, we have a great responsibility here. And then he goes on, verse 27 in all of her glory, that He might present to Himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. These are fascinating terms of which we don't have time to look at each one. But let's just look at it here. Having no spot. We know what spots are. Women do laundry, right? And it's like, oh, he got a spot on his shirt or whatever, you know? So having no spot. No wrinkles of any kind. I wish I could pull my clothes out of the um, closet every time with no wrinkle. (laughs) No wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. That should conjure the idea that why He predestined us all the way from the fourth verse of chapter 1. He predestined us to be holy and blameless in Him. So we've seen the sacrificial love that husbands are to have then the sanctifying love, and then finally the husband's sustaining love. Look at verse 28 with me. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Love your wife as yourself. Remember, we talked about it last week. We'll talk about it again next week. You are one flesh, right? She is joined to you. Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You are one flesh. She is a part of you, whether you know it or not. Now, Paul is not teaching some sinful self-love here. Don't run away. Oh, well, wait a minute. I, he just said selfless love. Now it's, no, it's not that at all. I mean, the second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when he says love your own wives as your own bodies, it's a profound statement. The idea is just as you care for yourself in such a way that if you went home today and you noticed a big lump on the back of your neck, would you wait a couple months to call the doctor? No, you would probably, because you love yourself and your flesh so much, you're on the phone Monday morning as soon as the office opens trying to get in because it might be cancer, right? And so too, this is how we are to love. Further, it's unnatural to hurt or abuse your own body. And so when it says, love your wives as your own bodies, that means by implication that you don't hurt or abuse her in any way. And then this type of love, in verse 29, provide for her by nourishing and cherishing her. The word nourish is an interesting term. It really only occurs here, and we'll see it in 6.4, where it says fathers are to bring them up. It's the idea of bringing to maturity by nourishment. And so we'll look at that word more next time. And then cherish, this is a, a precious term. It literally means to keep warm or to foster with care. And so when it says nourish and cherish, right? That we nourish and we cherish it to foster with care. Well, so the implication too is that we are loving our wives like this, that we men are to be the primary caregivers to our wives. We are the ones that are to provide for them. And if your wife stays at home, provide her with enough money to run the home with buying clothing and groceries and these types of things so that she can do her job well. But also to provide for her spiritually, as we've already said. Um, Leading in family worship. Leading her uh, through the Scriptures as well. The word cherish, interestingly, only occurs in one other place, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, and it speaks of a nursing mother for her children, her love for her children. And so, very, very affectionate um, term. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we looked at this text last time, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, this is what we are to do. We are to get to know our wives. We're to get to know her likes and dislikes, her cycles, and, and all of those things. Husbands, This is going to be profound. Communicate with your wives. (laughs) Wow, that was really profound, wasn't it? Communicate. Initiate communication. Express yourself openly and honestly to her, but also allow her to express herself to you. Be willing to listen. Don't be formulating what you're going to say because you have your to-do list that you have to run to. Take time to listen. Learn from your wife. And as the leader, don't let the sun go down on your anger, as we learn from chapter 4. Sadly, some men still demean their wives. They make them feel as though they're less than nothing. That's a grievous thing. 
That's, it goes so against what Paul's saying here. And I know there's some here that can do this at times because they've counseled you at various times. But robbing someone of their self-worth is always wrong. Now, some men don't know that they're doing it because they're insecure. So there's deeper things going on. Like an insecure person, how do they find their security? By tearing down others and bringing them down, right? And so sometimes it's not always like all formulated out, but that's how it happens. Don't demean your wives. Illustration close to home from this last week. My wife is a very capable and gifted woman in, in many areas. Um, however, there's times when I can ask her to do something for me, I'll put it on your to-do list and do this for me, that she's not real comfortable with. And um, one of these things just happened this last week. We have a tree that needs to be removed, and so we had uh, people coming over to give estimates for that. Of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, the tree's in the front yard, answer the door, hi, take the business card, the tree's over there, give us a price. Da-da, that's easy, right? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be studying at the office because I was out counseling a lot this past week. And so anyway, it wasn't long that morning before I realized that my wife's really not comfortable with that. She, she is not going to be happy. That's not, going to be, that's not going to make her day. And so I chose to work from home that day so I could field these four estimates as they came by. And again, they, it didn't take a whole lot of time. But we need to be careful to not ask our wives to do something that they're, not, that they're uncomfortable with, okay? Plain and simple, my role is to do everything I can to build up my wife, to lead her in love, to not put her in situations where she doesn't feel right, where her strengths cannot be demonstrated, to allow her to use her gifts for the glory of God in whatever way that takes shape and looks like so that I can see her worth just as we have great worth in our Savior. And then I'll touch on verse 30 next time because we are members of his body. It kind of fits with the next text. But again, look how he ends it here. Just as Christ also does the church. And he brings in this idea that we're members of his body. Um, Very important concept there that's been repeated throughout the book of Ephesians. Well, let's draw just a couple of concluding thoughts. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this type of love sounds strange it sounds foreign if you're outside of christ this is just like this is not what i've learned this is not what the media says i know from experience that it's got to be conditional and all of that i invite you to meet the bridegroom the one that will shower you with such unconditional love he'll bathe you in his love non-christians have a misconception of what love is you don't realize that God's love really is unconditional. So if you repent of your sin, trust in Jesus Christ, embrace Him by faith, He'll cleanse you of your sins by His precious blood and you will be saved. Secondly, I hope you're thankful for the institution of marriage. We'll be talking about that. It's a creation ordinance. And it is an awesome thing. Next week we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit more. Um, and I'm... Again, I'm I'm thankful for many of my brothers here who are excellent examples of selfless love to their families, um, leading well, leading humbly, and I'm I'm really thankful for many of you men, your examples to me. We need to love our wives by protecting and providing and leading them um, physically and spiritually. 
Jesus is our divine role model. When we feel like we've got nowhere to turn, we must look to Christ because He ultimately has set the pattern for us here. He protects, He leads, He loves the church, He cares for the church. And then very practically, you men, a couple of things that you can write down. First of all, by the way, did you know that the men's discipleship group is actually studying how to become a better husband? It's been a great study for the last several months, and we have another three or four months left in that. Um, You're welcome to attend. It's only a once a month meeting, but these are the kind of things that we're constantly putting before us that we might grow in these areas as husbands. So many husbands need help. There's marriages that are in distress. And if we're not doing the preventative maintenance by being reminded of the plain and simple things that we might grow, what value do we, are we really placing on marriage? A couple of things. Meditate on these verses. Apply them. Love in a sacrificial way. In a sanctifying, sustaining way. Invest in your relationship with your wife. Yes, it's an investment. Invest deeply. Be affectionate with your wife. Not just sexual with her. Be affectionate to her. Just as you care for your own body and you fill it with food and you fill it with drink and you you wash it and you bathe it and all of that, so too care for her needs. Meet her needs. Many neglected wives, ultimately the marriage is dissolved because their husbands are not investing in them. One man said long many years ago that before marriage, the man's always opening doors, putting his hand out to take her hand and all this. After they're married, it's like parking a mud puddle. Jump over the puddle, honey! You know, and, and all of that. You know, the, the, all that stuff goes away after marriage. Let doors slam and hit them, you know, as they race through. That ought not be. We can laugh at that, but it ought not be. Seek to be gentle with your wife. Women are wired differently. Seek to be gentle with her. Don't feel as though when your expectations are not met that somehow I've got to formulate some punishment or something or you know, some kind of thing, even if it's very subtle. Don't think like that. Your love is to be as Christ loved the church sacrificially. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us. Help us, husbands, O oh Lord, to grow in these things, to humble ourselves, to become selfless servants in the home. Lord, I pray for each one that you would make us strong spiritual leaders, O God. Lord, that we would be loving and providing for our families. I pray for the marriages here, Lord, and there's some situations where they are fractured and there's stress. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would be the glue to hold it together. That you, O Christ, would be such a central part in these marriages, in each and every marriage here, that marriages would be strengthened and preserved. Ultimately, that they would stand the test of time. Thank you for these instructions. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.